Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. Today is another AMA episode, that is, Ask Me Anything. I love to answer your questions, and if you have a question you think is going to be of broad interest, send it in. I'll answer it live on the air. Send your questions to Victor at VictorJM.com. That's Victor at VictorJM.com. This question comes from Martin, who writes, I thoroughly enjoy the invaluable resource that you provide on the Real Estate Espresso podcast. I'd like to get your opinion on a project that came across my desk. Many aspects of the project are subject to the normal due diligence process. However, I've done some research on the special permit that was approved to entitle a six-unit commercial site to a 56-unit mixed-use site with the addition of 50 residential units, 24 studios, 21 bedrooms, and six two-bedrooms on top of the existing six commercial units. There is a restrictive covenant as it pertains to parking. There's 24 designated parking spaces on the site, and the planning board approval had an allocation of the 12 spaces, that is two each to the commercial units, and the remaining 12 spaces are for customer parking. They also incorporated a specific condition that none of the residential tenants can own a vehicle. They've specifically tied this to the excise tax bills to be paid to the city for all vehicles, as proof that the tenants of this building do not own a car. This concerns me, as in all of our other units, there's at least one vehicle per lease. There is access to the metro train system close by, within walking distance, but this is not a dense downtown urban location. It's actually located five miles from the downtown core of a major city. The train would have someone downtown in 12 to 15 minutes, and the pro forma rents are in line with other Class A buildings in a two to five mile radius. I have three questions. Number one, how does one account for the qualitative impact of not being able to own a vehicle? Number two, having answered the first question, how to quantify and discount rent comps with other similar Class A buildings that are not encumbered by the aforementioned restrictive covenant? And number three, as part of the exit strategy, what impact on the cap rate should I contemplate for potential buyers? Or taking the contrarian position, are we moving in the direction of reduced carbon footprint with more people buying into 100% dependency on public transport in conjunction with Uber or ride sharing, in which case the building valuation would suffer no financial impact? As always, I appreciate your opinion and keep up the great work on the Real Estate Espresso podcast. Well, Martin, thank you for the kind words, and this is a great question. Cities all over North America are granting increased density in exchange for transit-oriented development. They're trying to maximize the use of public transit facilities with mixed success. Some cities that are highly constrained for parking, like New York City and Boston, have largely figured this out. Newer, more modern cities like Denver and Dallas that are trying to retrofit a transit way of living on a city that was built around a car culture are frankly failing at it. So the answer is highly location-dependent. It is fair for a city to issue car restrictions in exchange for that increased density. I won't even get into the legal question whether the manner in which they're attempting to enforce the car restriction would survive a legal challenge. Let's take it as a given, for the sake of discussion, that the deed restriction is legal. The core of your question gets to the notion of value. In order for people to give up a car in exchange for public transit, a few things need to happen. Number one, the frequency of service needs to be high enough that you're not wasting time waiting for the train or the bus. Number two, the transit system actually takes you where you want to go on a daily basis. That means it gets you to work, to school, to the grocery store, to the bank, to the doctor. And number three, the cost of owning a car would far outweigh the convenience. A brand new Jeep Cherokee SUV can cost more than $70,000, and that's a depreciating asset. It doesn't make sense that someone would rent 
and spend that kind of money on a depreciating asset. I'm using the Cherokee as an example, but all cars are expensive at the moment. And if you can't afford the new car, are you going to rent and the layer on top of that $150 a month for parking, another $100 a month for insurance, and then another $700 a month in car payments plus fuel? Some people will make the value judgment and choose the car, but for many, it's simply unaffordable. And then number four, taking an Uber a couple of times a month or renting for those extraordinary trips, maybe a weekend getaway, is still worth the savings of not owning a car full time. So back to your specific real estate question. It's true that if you offer parking, you have the most broad appeal for the widest possible customer base. You have to be aware that as people's circumstances change, they may eventually want to get a car. They might move in without a car, but then they might want to get a car down the road. The restrictive covenant means that those folks are now being forced to move. It means higher tenant turnover than you might otherwise have. Getting a car should not be a reason for a tenant to leave, but now the government is mandating that. But there is a path to considering what might work for a targeted subset of the market. There's nothing wrong with having a targeted product that serves a specific niche. In that way of thinking, when you design a product, you design it for a very specific client in mind. You make sure that the building serves the needs of that client and there's sufficient demand in the area and a shortage of supply. I'll give you a simple example of what I'm thinking of. You could target the building who might be empty nesters who are downsizing from a single family home. They're selling their home. They like the area. They don't want to move to a different area altogether. They're going to live off the equity in their home that they just sold. They're fine getting rid of the car. They want specific amenities in the building. Maybe they would value e-commerce delivery lockers, both dry and refrigerated, so their groceries get delivered instead of having to haul heavy bags of flour on the train. Maybe your target market is students who are only a couple of rail stops from the university. Those needs are different. Maybe your target market is a newly single parent who's split up but wants to remain in the area to be close to their kids. Divorce can be financially devastating on a family, and those people value affordability and proximity to schools, proximity to their kids, above all else. They might forego the car in order to be close to their kids. Whether any one of these strategies will work is hyperlocal. I would not be thinking that the lack of parking is a drawback for which you have to offer a rent concession. Quite the opposite. Design a product for your target customer who won't see the lack of parking as a limitation. They'll see it as a feature. Then price your product offer specifically to that target customer. Now, if you don't find sufficient demand for that highly targeted product, then you're right. You would have to discount to find tenants. And that would ultimately destroy the value of the building. That's a dangerous game, and frankly, I would pass on the opportunity if that were the case. I want to thank you, Martin, for an awesome question. And for listeners at home, have a fantastic rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.